Welcome. You are listening to the Audio Information Network of Colorado. This recording is intended to be used solely by individuals with barriers to print. Hello. Thank you for joining us for the Friday, February 17th, 2023 reading of the Human Health Program. My name is Emily Crocker. On today's program, norovirus is on the rise. What to know about symptoms and treatment from time.com. And are there still places you should mask in forever from NPR? Plus, link found between common mouth bacteria and heart disease from New Atlas. And more, time permitting. Here's our first report. Norovirus is on the rise. What to know about symptoms and treatment. Also known as the stomach flu, norovirus spreads quickly and is most commonly found in contaminated food. By Alice Park from Time.com. While SARS-CoV-2 has dominated headlines for the past few years, other viruses have been simmering in the background. And with most of COVID-19's infection control measures like mask wearing, isolation, and physical distancing now gone in the U.S., those viruses are starting to roar back again. The U.S. has already seen spikes in RSV and influenza, and now norovirus cases are inching upward, according to the latest data from the U.S. Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, or CDC. Unlike SARS-CoV-2, RSV, and influenza, norovirus is not a respiratory pathogen, but instead causes problems in the gastrointestinal tract. Each year, the U.S. has about 2,500 outbreaks that typically occur during the winter months from November to April, leading to 19 to 21 million cases of illness and nearly half a million emergency room visits. Young children and older people are the most vulnerable to serious complications from the infections, leading to 100,000 hospitalizations and 900 deaths annually. The CDC tracks norovirus cases through the National Respiratory and Enteric Virus Surveillance System, or NREVSS, which receives reports of positive norovirus tests from clinical labs and state and local health departments from around the country. Since mid-January, the three-week average of percent of positive tests has jumped from 10.5 percent to 15 percent in the first week of February. Because norovirus infections aren't one of the required diseases for state health departments to report to the CDC, given that most people aren't tested for it, the agency also tracks the virus via outbreaks through its Norovirus Sentinel Testing and Tracking Network, or Norostat. The network includes data on outbreaks, which the CDC defines as two or more cases resulting from a common exposure or source that lab tests have confirmed are due to norovirus or that doctors suspect are caused by norovirus from 14 state health departments. In January 2023, the most recently recorded data, Norostat reported a sharp increase from 15 to 26 outbreaks of norovirus. Overall, there have been more outbreaks this year compared to last year when numbers were low because pandemic protocols, such as mask wearing and social distancing, likely hampered the virus's ability to spread. That suggests that the recent upticks this year are likely a resetting back to pre-pandemic cycles of infections. 
Still, when looked at over trends from the past decade, at this time, I don't think we're seeing anything unexpected or unusual, says Sarah Mirza, an epidemiologist in the CDC's Division of Viral Diseases. We're right on track for a typical norovirus season, she says. I do think we're getting back to pre-pandemic epidemiology of many of these viruses, says Dr. Camille Sabia, director of the Center for Pediatric Infectious Diseases at Cleveland Clinic Children's. Here's what you need to know about norovirus. What is norovirus? Norovirus belongs to a family of viruses called Calisivaridae and, like SARS-CoV-2, are made up of single strands of the genetic material RNA. There are dozens of different variants of norovirus, also known as the stomach flu or viral gastroenteritis. The virus is very contagious and spreads quickly among infected people via close contact, touching infected surfaces such as doorknobs and handles, and sharing food and utensils. Where does norovirus come from? Unlike many other viruses, norovirus does not sequester in animals and jump to people, but persists and predominantly spreads in people. The reservoir for norovirus is always humans or human waste material, says Leanne Jakus, professor of food bioprocessing and nutrition sciences at North Carolina State University. A gram of infected feces can contain billions of virus particles, and it only takes anywhere from 10 to 1,000 particles to make someone sick. The virus can survive in water sources for long periods of time, so anywhere sewage or bilge is dumped, there's a good chance of finding the virus. If you go to all the water sources in the country and ask what the potential is to get some amount of norovirus genomes, it's pretty high, says James Samuel, department head of microbial pathogenesis and immunology at Texas A&M School of Medicine. That includes water feeding into areas where shellfish grow. As filter feeders, mollusks and oysters can harbor the virus and sicken people who eat them. The most recent norovirus outbreak reported by the CDC occurred among oysters in Galveston Bay, Texas, in December. And once someone gets infected, the virus's high contagiousness means outbreaks occur most commonly in group settings, most famously on cruise ships where people are in close quarters for lengthy periods of time and shared surfaces may not be sanitized frequently. But these exposures only account for about 1% of norovirus outbreaks in the country. The majority occur in places such as hospitals and long-term care facilities, restaurants, and catered events like weddings, schools, and child care centers. About 80% of the transmission occurs when the virus spreads from person to person, says Mirza. What are the symptoms? The stomach flu causes vomiting, diarrhea, and queasiness. Some people experience stomach pain and fever, and symptoms usually start anywhere from 12 to 48 hours after infection. Most people feel sick for about one to three days. Can I be tested for norovirus? Doctors can perform a test, but it requires a stool sample. Such sampling is mostly done by research scientists tracking an outbreak. We don't commonly test for these viruses in most individuals, says Sibia. When we see these patients, usually from the case history, it's very clear that viral gastroenteritis is likely, she says. 
Because the virus spread so quickly, if family members all experience the same symptoms in close proximity, for example, doctors will suspect norovirus or a similar viral infection. How norovirus is treated. There is no vaccine or treatment for norovirus, but the infection is a good candidate for one, says Samuel. The recent success of using mRNA technology in the COVID-19 vaccines should lead to a push for using the same platform for a norovirus vaccine. There is going to be a renaissance, I predict, in terms of vaccines using mRNA against a number of different diseases, he says, including the stomach flu. When it comes to treatments for norovirus, the need may not be as urgent since most people recover from the symptoms in 48 to 72 hours, so antiviral development isn't as robust. While there are many different viruses that cause gastroenteritis, the majority of the time it's not important to know what specific virus is causing symptoms because the treatment is generally the same, says Sibia. Doctors advise people to drink plenty of liquids since vomiting and diarrhea can lead to dehydration. In some cases, they may recommend anti-nausea medications to ease symptoms. How to protect yourself from norovirus. Norovirus is an incredibly hardy virus, says Mirza. That means it is more difficult to eliminate than SARS-CoV-2. Start with the same infection control measures for COVID-19, but keep these additional things in mind. Wash your hands with soap and water, not hand sanitizer, frequently. Hand sanitizers won't inactivate norovirus, says Jakus, but the physical act of washing your hands plus the soap and running water can remove more virus. Wash fruits and vegetables thoroughly before eating. Cook seafood to at least 145 degrees Fahrenheit. Try to isolate and sanitize shared surfaces if someone in your household is infected. If there is feces or vomit on the surface, clean it first before disinfecting it, since disinfecting agents don't work as well in the presence of organic material. Up next, are there places you should still mask in forever? Three experts weigh in by Carmen Molina Acosta from NPR News. There are still hundreds of thousands of COVID cases reported in the U.S. each week, along with a few thousand deaths related to COVID. But with mask mandates a thing of the past and the national emergency health declaration that will expire in May, we are in a new phase of the pandemic. Life looks a little more normal here in the U.S. than it did a few years ago, but decisions on how to deal with the virus aren't over yet. China had a huge increase in cases last month after abandoning its zero-COVID policy, and another variant prompted renewed recommendations in some airports. Researchers estimate that more than 65 million people are struggling with the effects of COVID, a disease we still have to learn about. However, Masking requirements are being lifted in places like Spain and Germany. Wondering if and when you should still be masking up? NPR asked some experts. Dr. William Schaffner, a professor of infectious diseases at Vanderbilt University Medical Center, Dr. Monica Gandhi, an infectious disease expert at the University of California, San Francisco, and Dr. Bob Wachter, chair of the Department of Medicine at the same university, all weighed in. If you're high risk, you should still be careful. 
Dr. William Schaffner, a professor of infectious diseases at Vanderbilt University Medical Center, says he and his wife are still playing it conservatively. He cautions people to stay careful, not carefree. As they are older, they are at higher risk of serious illness if they catch the virus. They also care for a family member who is undergoing chemotherapy. Older persons, people of any age who have a serious underlying illness, heart disease, lung disease, diabetes, if you're immune compromised, Schaffner said, keep wearing that mask. Consider masks in crowded, poorly ventilated places. Dr. Bob Wachter, chair of the Department of Medicine at the University of California, San Francisco, plays it a little more by ear. I have come to calibrate my mask wearing based on my best educated guess as to the possibility that someone has COVID and also how important it is for me to do the thing without a mask, Wachter says. While he's no longer concerned about dying or serious illness, the virus can still knock you out. Wachter watched firsthand as his wife recovered from a bout of long COVID-19. He evaluates it case by case. A small gathering where everyone is vaccinated and windows open may not require a mask, but sitting on an airplane or in a large crowded theater might be a good idea to don one. Those places, I'm wearing a mask now, and I suspect I will wear a mask forever, Wachter said. Forever's a long time, but the threat of COVID now, I think, is probably not all that different from it'll be a year from now or five years from now, he said. Vaccines have provided powerful protection. On the other hand, Dr. Monica Gandhi, an infectious disease expert at the University of California, has leaned into the value of vaccines over masks. They're really powerful in terms of what they were designed to do, which is to prevent severe disease, Gandhi said. This is really the time at which you can say, oh, we have a lot of population immunity in our country, she said. Most Americans now have hybrid immunity, a combination of immunity from vaccines and catching the virus naturally, which is particularly strong. Gandhi feels comfortable going without a mask most of the time. Keep assessing your own risk and comfort level. All three experts agree it's a matter of weighing personal risks. Lots of people are very cautious, Gandhi said. Still, they're happy with their vaccine and feel that they're done worrying about it after vaccination. Everyone's just going to have their own personal biases around that, she said. Experts do not always agree on what to do. I don't think it has a moral dimension, Wachter said. I think we're sort of past the time when any of the choices here are really bad choices, he said. And Schaffner found that this winter there were other benefits to masking and social distancing, like avoiding RSV and flu bouts. We have shown that masks are really effective in reducing risk in a population, he said. Up next, link found between common mouth bacteria and heart disease by Paul McClure from New Atlas. Coronary heart disease, or CHD, is responsible for around one-third of all deaths worldwide. A new longitudinal study has investigated the link between a commonly occurring oral bacteria and CHD, improving our understanding of how infection affects the development of heart disease. CHD is the most common form of heart disease. Over time, plaque collects on the walls of the arteries that supply blood to the heart, which is atherosclerosis, causing an obstruction to blood flow. The obstruction causes symptoms of chest pain or angina, 
breathing difficulties, and chest tightness and pain in the arms or shoulders. If plaque completely blocks an artery, it can result in a heart attack. CHD is caused by a combination of genetic, environmental, and demographic factors. The main risk factors are smoking, diabetes, high blood fats or hyperlipidemia, and high blood pressure or hypertension. Age is also an important factor, and men are more likely to develop CHD than women. Previous studies have also identified a link between the development of arterial plaque and the body's inflammatory response. These studies led to a renewed interest in the role bacteria, viruses, and other microorganisms play in heart disease. Although enormous progress has been made in understanding how coronary heart disease develops, our understanding of how infections, inflammation, and genetic risk factors contribute is still incomplete, said Flavio Hodel, lead author of the current study. The study followed more than 3,400 participants and monitored their heart health over 12 years. Data were collected on the participants' blood C-reactive protein, or CRP, levels, a measure of inflammation. Participants were also tested for 22 human pathogens, including 15 viruses, 6 bacteria, and 1 parasite. One of the bacteria tested for was Fusobacterium nucleatum, a bacterium that is prevalent in humans. It is a very common mouth bacteria that can lead to gum inflammation or gingivitis and gum infection, periodontitis. Previous studies have also noted its potential to spread to the gut and to the female genital tract, causing inflammation and disease. Based on the data collected, the present study demonstrated a link between previous or current infection with F. nucleatum and a slightly increased risk of CHD. The researchers hypothesize that the bacterium causes harm in two ways— First, in cases of oral infection, it causes a generalized inflammatory response in the body. Second, it migrates from the mouth and attaches itself directly to the walls of the coronary arteries, encouraging plaque growth. Our study adds to growing evidence that inflammation triggered by infections may contribute to the development of coronary heart disease and increase the risk of a heart attack, said Jacques Fillet, a professor at the School of Life Sciences of EPFL Switzerland and senior author on the study. Future studies are needed to confirm the link, but if confirmed, it may open the door to simple antibiotic therapy as a treatment option where the cause of CHD is infection. Our results may lead to new ways of identifying high-risk individuals or lay the groundwork for studies of preventive interventions that treat F. nucleatum infection to protect the heart, Philae said. Up next, how to soothe itchy skin, the creams that can offer lasting relief from Consumer Reports on Health. It's annoying, uncomfortable, and tends to occur more commonly as we get older. Dermatologists start to see an uptick in presentation of itchy skin at around age 50, and it continues to increase as people get older, says Daniel C. Butler, M.D., director of the Aging Skin and Geriatric Dermatology Clinic at University of California, San Francisco. Chronic skin conditions such as psoriasis or eczema, which typically require a doctor's help, are at fault in some cases, and allergies can cause itchy skin reactions, such as hives, but often there's no clear reason for itchiness. Unfortunately, scratching may simply make the situation worse. 
Chronic itching causes chronic inflammation, says Brian Kim, MD, director of the Mark Lieball Center for Neuroinflammation and Sensation at Icon School of Medicine at Mount Sinai in New York City. Scratching is supposed to relieve itch, but paradoxically, it triggers more inflammation and more itch, he said. Here are expert insights on how to prevent such itchy discomfort and ease it if it occurs. What may be behind the itch? Natural age-related changes in your immune system may be the biggest culprit. These tend to promote systemic inflammation, which tends to trigger more itching, says Kim. The nerves in your skin can also react in unusual ways. They might tell your brain your skin is itchy even when there's no stimuli that's causing your skin to itch, Butler says. In addition, older skin may become far more sensitive. Skin gets thinner, and the skin barrier, whose job it is to help keep irritants out, becomes compromised, says Mona Gohara, MD, Associate Clinical Professor of Dermatology at Yale University. And in winter, dry indoor and outdoor air can certainly make skin more prone to irritation and itchiness. Prevention pointers. It's key to treat your skin carefully. Use a gentle, fragrance-free cleanser and warm, not hot, water, says Gahara. Also, avoid scrubbing your skin or using exfoliating products, she says. Look for body washes that are soap-free. They'll have milder, more moisturizing cleansing ingredients than other types of washes. Keeping your skin well-moisturized strengthens it and makes it less likely to become itchy. So look for ingredients like hyaluronic acid, lanolin, and shea butter. You need to use a thick cream that comes out of a tub, not a thin lotion from a pump bottle, Butler says. Lotions are less moisturizing and may contain alcohol to help them dry faster after application. Also, be sure that any cream you choose is scent-free. Fragrance is the most common skin irritant for older adults, he says. Experts recommend moisturizing several times a day, especially after bathing. Leave skin slightly damp when you towel off and use your cream to help seal that moisture into your skin, Gohara says. Treatments for relief. The first line of defense for mild itching and irritation is often an over-the-counter anti-itch cream. Kim recommends the use of these at night when itching tends to be more bothersome. Look for a cream with hydrocortisone, a mild steroid that is typically used two times a day for two weeks. If hydrocortisone doesn't help, Butler suggests trying an anti-itch cream with primoxine hydrochloride. Note, unless your itchiness is allergy-related, oral antihistamines such as loratadine or claritine and generic or cetirizine or Zyrtec and generic probably won't help. For chronically itchy skin that lasts for more than six weeks and interferes with sleep or other activities, it's best to see your doctor or a dermatologist. They may be able to prescribe a stronger topical medication to stop the itching. Don't minimize it just because it's a common thing, Butler says. Another reason to see a doctor? Chronic itching has been associated with several systemic conditions, such as kidney disease and anemia. The skin is a window to the inside of the body, says Gohara. Any acute change is worth getting checked out because it may mean something more than skin deep, she says. Up next, don't skip blood pressure checks from Consumer Reports on Health. 
Just 48% of older adults who take medication to lower their blood pressure or have a condition that can be worsened by high blood pressure check their blood pressure levels at home, according to a survey. Research suggests that regular home monitoring can help keep blood pressure at a lower, healthier level. And the source is JAMA Network Open. And finally, from Consumer Reports on Health, antivirals and heart meds. The antiviral Paxlovid, for those at high risk of severe illness from COVID-19, can alter the effects of some common heart drugs, a recent review found. If you get COVID, doctors should check your health history before prescribing Paxlovid. And the source is the Journal of the American College of Cardiology. Thank you for joining us for the Human Health Program. My name is Emily Crocker. If you enjoyed this program, please register for our free services at www.aincolorado.org or by calling 303-786-7777.